Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. What an amazing opportunity we had to serve our city last weekend. I, I just tell you, I love singing songs about the Trinity. And wasn't it so good to see Rachel playing the acoustic guitar and singing? Y'all give it up for Rachel. It was awesome. It was really cool. You know, I, um, I love singing songs about the Trinity because for the Christian, our concept of God is firmly Trinitarian. What do you mean, Craig? What I mean is that we only know the Father through the Son by the gracious revelation of God's Holy Spirit. And so what's so beautiful about singing the Trinity is people say, what's the Father like? It's Father's Day. Let me tell you what the Father's like. John 10 and 30, Jesus made a statement. He said, I and the Father are one. God is like Jesus. (laughs) And I don't know if you know who Jesus is in this room or you've read about Jesus, but the fact that our Father is the same as Jesus or the character of Jesus is good enough for us to celebrate this morning. Amen, church? Come on, just one more time. Let's give our, put our hands together and give God praise, man. What an amazing, amazing Father we have. Well, listen, I hope everyone's doing well this Father's Day. I'm excited about what God will speak to us today. And uh, if you are uh, following us on social media, if you've not, I, I really encourage you to do so uh, as we celebrate and, and disseminate information throughout the weeks. But uh, we did a little Father's Day giveaway because, um, you know, it's Father's Day. We wanted to give a Home Depot gift card. That's Home Depot. A $25 gift card to a father in our community in both gatherings. And so we had a little image and you probably saw it even if you missed it on social media out in the Father's Day or in the the Father's Day tent. The welcome tent today, which is a Father's Day tent. Um, The welcome tent. And so there were a lot of guesses, even a lot of guesses this morning. And uh, I'm here to tell you that we have a winner in the room. All right. I'm giving away another one in the gift, another gift card in the, the next gathering. But please, when you leave today, do not go out those doors and tell the fathers that are showing up. All right. I want every father in the room to put up your right hand and say, I promise, Pastor Craig. Okay, all right. So, the number of T's in, and this is kind of ironic that this person who won uh, works with wood and tools and things all the time. In fact, that's what he does for a living, so I don't know, just God's shining down on him. Uh, There were 83 T's, and the closest guest for this gathering is Mr. Timmy Simmons with 73 T's. All right, y'all give it up for Tim Simmons. Timothy, happy Father's Day. He's a father's father of four. He just jumped. He just multiplied two children this Father's Day. One more time, let, let Tim know how much you appreciate him. That's awesome, man. Well, listen, Dad, stand up all over the room. If you are streaming live today, stand up where you're at, Dad, if that's possible for where you're at. Don't do it if you're driving, all right? Um, I want us just to, just, to, just to pray a blessing over our dads. Can we do that? You're around a dad that's standing near you. Just stretch your hands that way or, or the way towards them. Maybe if they're next to you, you can lay your hand on them. Let's just pray uh, a blessing over their lives. How many of you know anybody can, can uh, have a baby, but it takes a man to father a child? That's altogether different, isn't it? And so let's just pray a blessing over our dads today. Would you pray with me? Father, right now, Lord, we stretch our hands in faith just to play, pray a blessing over each dad in this congregation. It's what makes your church so unique, God, that, Lord, we have 
the ability to, with solidarity to identify with you, Heavenly Father, and that you've given that role and function to men. Men that in this room, God, stand on the shoulders of other men, that stand on the shoulders of other relationships. And I pray specifically today that you would grant wisdom and anointing to father a generation. Hallelujah. You would grant wisdom and anointing, God, for young men in this congregation who are not yet fathers to have the wisdom and anointing to father, even if they don't have natural children of their own, to father other young men in the faith, to father, God, young men who would, who would grow up in the fear and admonition of the, the great father, the perfect heavenly father. I just pray today would be a day of break, a day of rest, a day of strength, a day, oh God, of just encouragement, Lord, but also challenge, Lord, to continue to be the men of God you've asked us to be, God. We thank you. We thank you for the blessing of our fathers. We bless them today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, one more hand for all of our dads today, all right, as they're seated. Well, if you didn't receive a message card when you came in, you can raise your hand right quick, and one of the ushers will be glad to serve you. We are in our series called Why. Everybody say why. And we looked last week, why, or the first week, um, do I need another baptism? Talking on Pentecost Sunday about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Chad began uh, a part called Why Is This Happening? Part 1, of which he will finish in part 2 next Sunday. But today, I want to ask a different question. And that question is, what do you do when life gets overwhelming? What do you do when life gets overwhelming? Specifically intended for dads, but I just got to be honest with you. I had a message completely written out called, How Do I Become the Father of the Year? as it relates to Romans 8 and our sonship, and the Lord just totally redirected me. And so that doesn't happen often. It hasn't happened over a year. But who knows? Maybe I have a message for next year's Father's Day. I don't know. God usually doesn't let me do that. He just lets me study and gives me something different. But nonetheless, what do you do when life gets overwhelming? Really, that's a great question. What is your natural response when life gets overwhelming? Now, if you've never been overwhelmed in life, it's probably because you're two or three years old. And you're probably not in here. You're in DP Kids Nursery right now, all right? Because that's the reality, right? For the rest of us, life happens, doesn't it? Am I the only one life happens to, right? Life happens. Life does not, I'll say it this way, favor any. In fact, it's challenging. It's difficult. The Bible says it this way. It declares that it rains both on the just and the unjust. Life just takes place. There are things that just sometimes are outside of your control, outside of your volitional desires, outside of what you can do, how you can control it. And sometimes you get to a point in life where you literally like feel like throwing your hands up in the air and saying, God, this is ridiculous. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just finished. What do you do when life gets overwhelming? What do you do? As I said earlier, I'm so grateful for men in this community. Even though we're an infant church still, we're in the, the beginning stages of a church, not only locally, but also a church planning movement. I, I'm so grateful for men in this community who no doubt have had their opportunities and moments to give up, to quit, to, to get out, to relieve, to get out of the pressure, to, to relieve it. And yet they've stayed the course. They've stayed in church. They've stayed in the house of God. They've stayed with their family. They've loved their kids. They've continued to serve their spouse. And that, my friends, is a beautiful thing. That, my friends, is an amazing thing that when dads, when fathers remain faithful. Amen? Isn't it amazing as you get older, and I'm only 31, that faithful becomes really sexy? I mean, faithful is really, really sexy, right? Steady Eddie is way better than sexy Steve. 
Okay, if you're a young lady in the room who's single, let me just go ahead and help you out long before that moment comes, all right? Ladies looking for a man, get you, you need to go with Steady Eddie. I know he doesn't dress real cool. I know you don't like necessarily the way he matches or the way he wears jeans. I know that, but he will stay with you, baby. He will stick with you thick, through thick and thin, all right? His name is Steady Eddie, right? Sexy Steve, you may like the way he dressed, but he won't last. You know, he's too pretty, you know. So, so stick with Steady Eddie. Faithful men. Faithful men. Which leads us to our text today, Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I don't know if you've read Scripture before and it spoke to you, and then you've read Scripture before and it spoke to you. That's two totally different things. Well, this passage has spoken to me. Joshua chapter 3, let's begin reading. It's an amazing, amazing passage. Start with me in verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. Some of my least favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's like, Jesus rose early in the morning. He stayed up all night, ministered to every need. And long before the daylight, he went off on the mountainside. It's like, give me a break, Jesus, okay? We understand you're Jesus, right? But very early in the morning, notice this. And uh, just stick with me real quick. This is in the Bible. I know we're going straight PG-13 just a minute, but um, just stick with me. And uh, he rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. <clears throat> it's in the Bible, okay? It's right there in the Bible. Someone told me yesterday, they were like, hey, that's actually pronounced Shittim. And I'm like, well, it says Shittim in my Bible, you know. It's like... I mean, you know, shit them happens. No, I'm sorry. I did not say that. I'm totally sorry. You're like, oh, my God. Happy Father's Day. Did he just say that? All right, let's keep going. Forrest Gump, one of my favorite movies. My favorite movies all time. It really is. Happy Father's Day. Keep going. All right. Notice he goes on. He says, and they came to the Jordan. Everybody say Jordan. This is Jordan River. And he and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, everybody say three. The officers went through the camp and commanded the people. Notice this. Notice the language. As soon. No, no, no. Immediately. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, those who are descendants of the tribe of Levi, then, he says, you shall set out from your place, your camp, and follow it. Follow the box. Follow the ark. Yet, there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near the ark. In order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Woo! I like that. You've not passed this way before. Jump down with me to verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark, the Levitical priest, had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink, the shallow part of the water, and now the Jordan overflows all its banks in the time of harvest. It's, this is overflowing season. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at a city called Adam, the city is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabia the salt sea, dead sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over the Jordan opposite a city called Jericho, the oldest city in human civilization, who is, which is still there today. And now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the river in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. I want to title this message today, What Do You Do When Life Gets Overwhelming? When It Begins to Overwhelm You. Would you pray with me for a few moments? God, I 
I pray right now for these moments we have together as a community. They're so important. These next 30, 35 minutes, God, we dedicate to you, God. We dedicate this space for you to speak to our hearts. Lord, um, I just want to be honest with you and tell you, Lord, we've never needed you more than we need you right now. And some maybe don't even recognize that, but I pray today by your spirit you would give us that realization. We've never needed you. We're desperate for you, God. We ask for your leadership today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Now, for those who are somewhat fairly close to me, you probably know that uh, my kids are a bit dramatic. Kind of like most kids. They're a little bit dramatic. I was a little bit dramatic as a kid. Exaggeration is the name of the game in my house. I, don't, I like being an exagger, exaggerator. It's good. Just y'all leave me alone. It's the spice of life. I, I, I just always had a little bit of a problem fighting and dealing with emotions. I mean, it's the reality. And so a couple of weeks ago, well, it's about a month and a half ago now, my uh, son and daughter are in uh, the bathtub. And uh, I think it's just about to get to the age um, where I'm going to have to stop doing that. So I'll just let you read context clues because comments are being made. You know how that works, parents. And so, um, but, but they were in the bath together. And so they're in the bath. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm in the other room because that's what you do, right? You just leave your kids in the bathtub. That's not negligence at all, you know. And so I, I've just got the bathtub running. And, you know, me and my wife go out on a date down to, down, down, you know, downtown Canton. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. But we got the bathtub going. And all of a sudden, I hear screaming in the other room like bloody murder. My, my son starts screaming dad it's overflowing it's overflowing I'm like are you serious so I run in there right and I'm like finding that the bathtub is about this deep okay it's like this deep right but what has happened is um, the rental house that we have the, the the faucet's too close to the drywall and the tub is not deep enough that the water hits the drywall, and it's literally busted through the drywall. Now the pieces are in the bathtub, you know, the drywall pieces. And, like, water could go down the crack, down into, you know, like the neck. I mean, let's just swim downstairs, you know what I'm saying, Tim? It would be amazing. And, but, the, but the water is about this deep. And, and my son's like, well, maybe, maybe not really overflowing, Dad, you know? I'm like, okay, son. And, you know, I was uh, just a few, few uh, last week at the, the beginning of the week, I was inside cooking some dinner. My wife was away doing something that night for, I don't know, just giving her some moments out of the house for her own sanity. And um, I took Harper and I put her in a little bouncy chair and I put her out in the garage. Um, again, no negligence here, but uh, my kids were outside playing in the hose. And I went in just for a minute to do something with the food. And then Knox comes running. He's like, he's like, there's a bee. There's a yellow jacket on Harper leg there's a bee and I walk out the side in the garage and Marley's like no nah, we shoot it away and I'm like you kids are so dramatic you know they're so dramatic they are time and time again but I, I went in a few days later and my son thought it was funny to get the water really high and they're splashing and there's water all over the tile. There's water all over the back wall and that's like ready. I'm ready to spank him. You know what I'm saying? Like water overflowing everywhere. But what a, what a normal picture of life, isn't it? That's, that's pretty normal. Water overflowing bathtubs. Water seeping down walls. There are moments of life where water goes everywhere. Life is out of control. The insurance is calling. The debtors are calling because you have medical bills. They want your money. There's water damage. Well, what is that, Craig? It's called life. L-I-F-E. It's called life. 
Life happens. Stuff happens. Tires blow out. You pull off to the side of the road. You get a speeding ticket. You pull off the side of the road. You don't even have a spare. If you did have a spare, it doesn't matter because you don't know how to change it. You're looking for King Smith. You're thinking, what in the world's happening here? You know, I mean, it's like, and of course, those those little inconveniences are nothing compared to the real challenges of life. You know what I'm talking about? Like when I got a call on Tuesday that, that my mom's first cousin committed suicide on Monday afternoon. Shot himself in the garage. Right? Those are, and his older brother died two months ago and his mom died four months ago. So yeah, 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 those, are, those are life issues. That's life. Life is so challenging, isn't it? And I can't stand here, sincerely, I can't as your pastor stand here and say, you know what, uh, I, I'm going to tell you that if you go to dwelling place and you believe in Jesus, or at least you're on your way to believing in Jesus, you know, then, then life will never overwhelm you. Life will never have crazy challenges. You won't have blowouts on your tires. You won't get speeding tickets. you only get A's if you're in school. You'll get bonuses at your work every year. You're going to have great corner offices with great views and Vista, you know, offices. Because why? Because you follow Jesus. So everything will, will be so awesome for you. No, if I could say that to you, I promise I would. I'd get up every Sunday. I would promise that to the people of God. But I can't because I'm bound to the book. And the book doesn't tell me that. I'm bound to the story that is God's. And I find, I don't know how to say this, but in reading God's story, that some who actually decided to follow Jesus, following Jesus meant that tangibly, visibly, things got worse. In some cases, it, it cost them relationships and family members and loved ones because they decided to follow Jesus. I have a friend who, who I was interviewing when I was in the Philippines a few years ago. And because of religious preferences, he knew that Jesus was real and he had to follow Jesus. And his family said, you're no longer able to live in this house and I'm not your father and that's not your mother. And you no longer have brothers and sisters. And so the church said, we'll be your family. We're your community. We'll wrap you up. We'll love you. We'll care for you. He said, I, I know Jesus is real. I have to serve him. So what do you do? What do you do when life is overwhelming? That's a great question. The truth is, even following Jesus has added some difficulty. Even following Jesus has added some challenges. What do you do when life is out of control? Craig, I, I'd be honest with you, I feel submerged under layers and layers and layers of complexities and problems and challenges. And, and Joshua 3 is such an amazing, beautiful story. But it's also a very frustrating and challenging story. Joshua chapter 3, let me give you some context, records the nation of Israel. They have a new leader. They have a new young whippersnapper. There's a leadership transition has happened. They have been following a man named Moses. You might know the former leader Moses. He was known for receiving the Ten Commandments. He delivered the children of Israel, two million Israelites, out of Egyptian bondage. He led them through the wilderness for 40 years. You've known him. He's a considerable figure. But now he's died on Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo is within eye's distance of the Jordan River. You can see it. If you attend there, you, you, you go there. He's died on Mount Nebo. The Lord has himself buried him. And Joshua is the new leader. By the way, the nation of Israel has been through a lot. Can I just give you some context for a minute. I mean, it goes back 700 years earlier. Just stick around for July. You're going to love the series. I won't tell you till next week. But, but seven years, uh, 700 years earlier, Joshua, who is this new leader, understands something had happened. God came to a guy with no kids called Abraham, Abram, actually, Genesis chapter 12, and he said, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And, and so 
you fast forward 700 years, and he says, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to take you to an opulent land, an amazing land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to love it. You're going to, ama- you're going to be amazed. And 700 years later, Tim, Abraham's descendants have still not stepped foot in the promised land that he promised 700 years ago. Are you with me today in recognizing that this is a tension point in the nation of Israel? All of the crisis has built to this moment. This is amazing. In fact, 400 of the 700 years, they're in Egyptian slavery. They're in slaves. In the last 40 years, leading up to Joshua chapter 3, they've been wandering in the desert. Folks, they're just circling the desert. Same shoes, by the way. The Bible says they didn't. None of them got new shoes. No, no Asics, no, no, no Nikes, nothing. Same shoes, 40 years. It took them 120, it took them 40 years to go 120 miles from Egypt to the promised land, which should tell you who you are when you get there means more to God than when you get there. That's just, that's just for free. 40 years, 120 miles. They're just circling, 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 circling. Imagine circling in the desert. Imagine going to Phoenix, Scottsdale, Palm Springs, and there's no buildings. Just hot desert. Now, we approach Joshua 3, and to imagine that there's tension in the camp is an understatement, right? This is a major understanding. Everyone who is in the community of Israel, which is between 1 and 2 million Israelites, everyone who knows the story and the history, 700 years ago, God had promised we would go to a promised land. 400 of them were enslaved. Moses is dead. We're left with this new whippersnapper. We got this young dude, this young buck, Joshua. And Joshua looks at all of us, 2 million people, 20 Georgia Domes, 20 Mercedes-Benz stadiums full of people. And Joshua looks at him and says, hey, now's the time. We're going into the promised land. And they start moving. One to two million people, up to two million people, they're walking. Now imagine if you're 39 years old, you've been wandering your whole life. I'm 31. I still got nine more years of wandering. Okay? 40 years. They're getting close finally. Finally getting close, getting some traction. The million plus Jews approach the Jordan River. And on the other side of the river, folks, is the promised land. They've been promised for 700 years. They can see it, man. They're almost there. They got it in their vision. They can see the promise of God before them. And yet they approach it. And the Bible said in Joshua 3, it's completely flooded. Completely flooded. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but... Let me explain. The Jordan River can actually become a very unimpressive body of water during certain seasons. It can get as low as 40 feet wide and 5 feet deep. You could jump over it if you were Carl Lewis. I want to show you a picture where I was baptized at the historical site where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Show me that picture. This is me with one of my, oh, back up, one of my pastors. I want you to see the big, yep, so you see the, the river on your top left. The top left is only about 40 feet, 38 feet wide. That's the Jordan River. Right at the place where they would have crossed over just south to my right. If you look at me, to my right would be about 10 football fields. You'll see the city of Jericho. Right there in Israel. It's it's a pretty unimpressive body of water. Let me show you the next picture. You can see, um, well, you can't see because it's off this thing. Uh, In the picture at the top right there, you'll see the reeds. So I'm, I'm just walked into the water. Go to the next picture. I'll show you another picture. This is the Jordan River. This is it. Right across there is the country of Jordan. 
Those are Christians who are persecuted but learned of our event. And so they secretly snuck down and worshipped with us on the other side of the river. Where we were to have a worship service right down here. Amazing, amazing moments. But that's the Jordan River. Very unimpressive at certain points. Maybe one more picture. Yeah, so that's it right there. Me standing at the Jordan River. Now they would have been coming from the other side because Nebo's right behind the green trees. They would have been coming across the Jordan River. You can jump it. Did you know in flood season, the Jordan River would get a mile wide and 150 feet deep? So you go from 40 feet, 5 feet deep, 40 feet wide, to a mile wide and 150 feet deep. Now pause. I would just like to stop. Hold on, hold on. Let's stop Joshua 3. Let me just ask God a question. Um, You could have brought us here, God, when it was the season where it was only 40 feet wide and 5 feet deep. And we wouldn't even need a miracle. We just straight up walk straight through this thing. We walk right up to the other side with our two million people and we go straight on into the promised land. You brought us here, God, when the river is overwhelming. You brought us here, God, when the river is overflowing. Now, you got to read portions of Scripture like that and go, God, that don't make any sense. With all due respect, God, why would you bring one to two million Jews who've been wandering for 40 years, who've been enslaved for 400 years, who've been waiting for 700 years to where they can see the promised land, they see it with their eyes, and then you bring them to this huge body of water and you timed it perfectly God so it would be the most challenging overflowing overwhelming daunting size it could be a mile wide and 150 feet deep now I'll read that and I don't know about you but I'm thinking that don't make any sense Lord these are your people give them a break give them a Kit Kat here throw the dudes a bone they've been waiting 700 years come on God do something But that provides a beautiful picture. God, you bring them to the river when it's rushing and overwhelming. Why? What's the point of this story? Well, it provides a beautiful picture for you. What do you do when you're standing on the shore of something that only used to be 40 feet wide and 5 feet deep? It used to only be a small thing. It wasn't that big of a deal. You had one argument. You had one uh, disagreement. Now she's filing for divorce and you don't know what to do. You used to just look at one little moment of, of pornography. You just used to look at one little area of area of lust or one little area that was outside of God's reign. And, and now all of a sudden something that used to be only 40 feet wide and 5 feet deep is all of a sudden now a mile wide and 150 feet deep. And you're like, God, what in the world is going on? I thought if I followed you, Lord, you told me to follow you, I'd never never make it to one of these things. What do I do? Do I sign the papers? Do I change cities? Do I go through with it? Do I go to that church? Do I go to this church? Do I stay at this city? Do I do or not? I've lost my job. I'm trying to pray for my kids. I'm trying to provide for my kids. I'm trying trying down here, God. Hey, you see me? I'm here, Lord. I have all these promises, God. I can see the promised land. I've been waiting for years of my life. My family's surrounded behind me. But instead, you brought me here to this place that's absolutely overwhelming. What do I do now? What do I do? What do I do? Boy, that's a great question, isn't it? That's the million-dollar question of life. What do you do when you find yourself in situations that are fundamentally, categorically overwhelming and daunting and too much? You're ready to give up. If you're like me, here's what you do. You step up to the Jordan River. I have a picture of me standing there, feet at the Jordan River. You step up to the Jordan River like this, and when you put your feet on the water's edge, here's what you do. You turn and say, oh, you know, sorry, it's not time, guys. Let's go back, guys. Sorry. Jump the gun a little bit. (laughs) Just come back later. We'll do it another time. That's what you'd do if you were me. I know that's what I would do. 
Let's watch how God leads his people. Because how God leads his people in this is exactly how he leads you. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So first of all, what does he do? It's imperative for us to understand that the Hebrews have a gift from God. Everybody say a gift. It's a box. It's a large box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant, I'm sure you've seen Indiana Jones. It's real, folks. You touch it or you open it, you will melt, okay? I'm sure you've seen it. Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant, amazing, amazing tool, okay? It's real. Exodus chapter 25, don't have time to read it. Go home and read it this afternoon. You'll find God says, I want to gift you a gift. I want to give you a gift. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. It's a gift that God gifted his people. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was a physical, visible manifestation of God's commitment and promise to always be present with the Jews. That's where God resided. God resided over the top of the box. He resided over the top where the mercy seat was in between the two cherubim that had their wings sticking out like this. This is where God lived in the tabernacle. He wanted them to know, you are my people. I am your God. He gave them the exact measurements. Don't just do what you want to do. Make the box according to my standards. And there were three things. Everybody say three. Three things that went inside the box. They were the three most important things that happened in the life of Israel in the wilderness. The first thing that was was Aaron's bud. Aaron's bud or Aaron's rod that had budded. Aaron's rod was the shepherd's rod. It had budded. That was the first thing. The second thing in the box was a pot of manna. God gave manna every morning and it ruined before the next day. That's how he fed him in the wilderness for 40 years was a pot of manna. And there was a third thing there. The most significant thing in Jewish history, there were two tablets of stone with ten commandments on them. It's the very commandments that God wrote with his finger alone when Moses was up on the mount in Mount Sinai. Now notice this. These are the three most important things. And now there's angels and there's a mercy seat and this is where God lives. It's a picture of God's presence and availability to the children of Israel. It was their secret sauce, folks. It was their secret weapon. It was their power. You may have heard it called the Ark of the Testimony. Now, the ark is the present in the story for a reason. Notice, the Bible says two million Jews walk up to an overflowing Jordan River. And the first instruction to Joshua and the nation is, is this, right? They're given this. You ready? Tell everyone to take three days off. Um, what? Take three days off. <laughs> Woo! God, we've been taking 40 years off. I think we're ready. Our shoes are ready. They're wearing down. My legs are rested. We've had plenty of time in the tents. It's time to go. Let's, let's get moving. No, no. Take three days off and sit right down in front of the biggest obstacle in your life. Now, my preach is getting on pretty quickly, and I don't even want my preach to get on. I'm feeling the preach really quickly. They're, they're there at the obstacle. They're at the, the promised land. They're there standing at the place that they're now able to see with their physical eyes what God has promised. And God says, hey, why don't you camp out for three days? A mile-wide river going 10 miles an hour, 150 feet deep. You know how loud that was? That was a reminder 24-7 of the huge obstacle that's right in front of them. Just camp out. Hang out, guys. What? Yep. Three days, you're going to sit right here. How were those three days among the people? Anybody ever led two million people? You probably got some stiff-necked, obstinate complainers. First of all, it's awkward camping with about two million people. It's hard to find an Eno's, trees. It's hard. I mean, it's difficult, right? I mean, two million people camping, it's just a little bit awkward. And so, so they're there camping. Can you imagine what the people are being saying? I miss Moses. Can we impeach? This new president. Where's the judicial branch? Like, oh, this is horrible. What's, let's get on with it. What are we doing? We finally get some traction, Joshua. Now you got to stop in here. 
Why do we come in this season? Everybody knows this season. The river's 150 feet, a mile wide, 150 feet deep. Why, why in the world? Finally, can you imagine, folks? God speaks to Joshua and he says, Now, if you are him, by the way, if you are Joshua, you are sweating your new position, aren't you? Right? Like, you're sweating this, dude. Just like, I miss Moses too. <laughs> You know, like, you know, like, God, is this going to work? I mean, we're, we're right here in front of the river. Like, I'm in, oh, boy, this better work, you know? And God says, hey, Joshua, tell all of the officials to tell the two million people on the third day, watch. Third day. Three days. Pretty significant, huh? Isn't it? Three, resurrection. After three days... We're going to get up, and we're going to cross over <laughs> after three days. Three days. The key to understanding Scripture, by the way, is always look for Jesus because it's always about him. He said the whole Scripture's about him. So if you just look for him in every text, you won't miss him. Three days. They rested for three days. First thing I'd say, if you're right now at the Jordan River and your life is overwhelming, here's what you need to do. You need to sit down, you need to rest, and you need to know that there's a God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he started in you, he will finish in you. That's the first thing you got to do. He says, tell people, as soon as you say, notice the language. Everybody say, as soon. As soon as you see the box. Now, you can't tell me that all two million people knew the significance of the box. Now, they knew this box went with them everywhere else, and they knew the box was out in front of them. You can't tell me all of them. It's like, what the big deal about the box? Why does the box got to go everywhere, Mom and Dad? And they're like, don't say that, son. Don't say that. Don't say that. It matters because there's three things in there that are, ah, I get it. But get on with it. Let's go. I want some milk and honey. And every official said to the Jews, I want you to keep back 2,000 cubits. Everybody say 2,000 cubits. 2,000 cubits, I did a little research for you, is 0.56 miles. One half mile, one half mile, go past the railroad tracks, just get some perspective here, past the railroad tracks that are closed. One half mile, one, all two million people, that's an exact number, right? Is 2,000 cubits an exact number? Yes, okay, that's a half a mile in front of them. So, so they're to get back 2,000 cubits, two million of them, 20 Mercedes-Benz stadiums, and then a half mile in front of them, look at the distinction, you got a couple of Levitical priests, Holding the ark with Joshua. And um, it's pretty a bizarre scene, isn't it? If there's not a bizarre scene in Scripture, if there is one, this is it. I mean, this is kind of crazy. Like, I don't know what it is. Two million people, and he says to stay back 2,000 cubits. So imagine what they're doing. They're walking like this. Okay, 2,000. It wasn't like, ah, just stay back a little bit. You know, no, no. It's like they took a few steps. 2,000, 2,000, what are you doing, God? What in the world are you doing? Is this showmanship? Stay back, 0.56 miles. I want you to see the box going before you. I want you to see that the box is out front. You stay back. You've never been this way before. You've never been this way before, dwelling place. But the box will go before you. You understand that? You need to understand. You've never, you've never traveled this way before. But you need to understand that the ark will actually go before you. The ark will go before you. The priests will carry the box. And they'll step into the river. And when they step into the river, the river will actually run dry. And we will walk across the river. People, we read the scripture, y'all, and we're like, this is so cool. It's about to happen. This was not cool, y'all. 
This was stupid. Joshua's like, what in the world am I telling these people? 2,000 cubits. Like, this is real, right? I mean, he's like, what, what's going on here? Right? If you're Joshua, this makes no sense. Like, he's seen the nation of Israel have many miracles like the Red Sea. You ever like the Red Sea? That was amazing. But Joshua doesn't know this is going to work. This is real life, folks. This will, he's like, uh, he's like, looks at the, the officials. He's like, tell them to stay back 2,000 cubits. And they're like, this will happen. He's like, I hope so. If I don't, we're dead, you know. I'll not be president tomorrow. I want you to see again. I want you to see it. You need to see it. How crazy this distance thing is. Box out there. Two million people back here. God, what are you saying? No nation travels like this, Lord. What other nation on the planet rolls like this? Two million people, 0.56 miles behind the box. No disrespect, God, but the box is made out of earthly materials. Can we get on with it? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's got some cool things in it, but this is weird. God, is this, is this showmanship? Are you just having fun with this? Why does it have to be a mile, half mile out front? Well, look at the distinction. If you're one of the Jews and you're stepping, you look at each other and you're like, why are we doing this again? Uh-oh, because, because the ark represents God. And that's where God lives. And I've got a question for you, Divine Place. When life gets overwhelming, do you really believe there's a God who goes before you? Are you listening to me? Do you really believe there is an ark, there is a God, there is a person, there is a Messiah who goes before you? In other words, there's no place that you're going that the Messiah is not already there. I, I, I don't like this Jordan River miracle too much. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's uncomfortable, especially if you're Joshua. Like, I want the Red Sea miracle, right? But the Bible, you say, Craig, oh, that, it's, it's just a cool miracle. Well, well, don't miss it. Because the Bible says they stepped into the water. So you got, you got two million people. 0.56 miles. These are, these Levites step into the water. They got their ankle deep, maybe their shin deep. They step into the water. And the Bible says 20 miles up the river in a city called Adam. I don't got time to preach that though. In a city called Adam, the water starts to heap up. Now listen, if the current, according to my study, goes 10 miles an hour, 20 miles upstream is where it heaps up, it's going to take... Two grueling hours for the water subside. Two hours. 20 miles upstream. Imagine if you're the leader. You're, you're Joshua. The priest, hey, when you step into the water, the water subside, the whole nation's going across. And then these priests step into the water. Nothing happens. There's two million people staring at you. Nothing happens. Woo, I found this is what God does with me when he asks me to step out. I step out and nothing happens. I step out and it is clear as day that there ain't no water going down. It seems like all hell is breaking loose. It seems like, man, the situation you thought that God promised is seemingly not happening in the visible manifestation. It doesn't look like in your own perspective that this water's going down. I like the Jordan River. I like it. I, I just want the Red Sea type miracle. It's going to take two hours. I'm telling you, how long did they wait until anything happened at all? Until any difference at all? Was that not the worst 20 minutes of the nation of Israel? Was that not 
the worst hour for the priests in all of their life. I mean, God could have just... God could have made a bridge appear, right? Be like, yeah, God, I like that. By the way, good rock work, baby. That was awesome, you know? I like that. It's better than recreate. You know, uh, that's, that's awesome right there. That looks, that looks amazing. But it's flood season. The river's rushing. And God says, I want them to stand there, and I'll work a miracle that takes two hours long. Anybody ever been in a two-hour-long miracle? <laughs> Well, I'm just going to preach to myself today. That's okay. A two-hour miracle where all of a sudden you step into what God's asking you to do, and God assures you that all will go well. God assures you that he's going to be with you. God assures you that the promise will come out, and you step out and you do what God tells you to do, and nothing changes. Nothing. God, hello, 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 hello. Are you there? There, 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 because I'm here, 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 here. You said you'd meet me, meet me, meet me, meet me, meet me, meet me. One hour passes. Okay, maybe you left me, God. Joshua is sweating bullets. Maybe you're not. Sh- well, maybe you're not coming, God. Why? Why are you? Because that's how life is sometimes, isn't it? Folks, we actually have the gall, nerve, and audacity to think that this story is about a promised land. This story isn't about a promised land. This story is about a promiser. This story is not about a miracle. Are you serious? Can I just tell us? God's not like up in heaven and being like, woohoo, this would be so cool when I do this to this water. Folks, what is water to God? I'm going to go ask Casey on the keys. He didn't, he didn't care about a body of water. What's a river to God? It's his people he wants. It's the nation he wants. He wants their heart. He wants their adoration. He wants their worship. He wants their attention. So he puts the ark with the priests out there for two hours. And all they can do is stare at at the ark. Is anything changing? Is, is anything changing? And slowly, everybody says slowly. The water starts to subside and whispers go through the camp. They're like, did you, did you, did you, did you see that? Did, you, did y'all see that right there? Like, yeah, am I seeing things, man? Like, the, the water was right there on that reed, but, but now the water. <laughs> oh, the priests are standing in the water. <laughs> They're in the middle of life's most overwhelming situation, and they knew that the water hit them right there, but now the water. Oh, God, oh, God, keep praying, keep praying. Joshua's not going to be in peace. Keep praying. It's going down, it's going down, it's going down. I feel it going down. I sense it going down. And all the nations are like, are you? So- look, look. The water seems to be subsiding. Slowly. Isn't that just like God? (laughs) Slowly. Slowly. God, can you do this right away, please? I I just need some help right now. Do you do one of those Red Sea things, God? God says, no, just slowly the pressure subsides. Just slowly your son comes back to the Lord. Just slowly your marriage gets better. Just slowly 
the clarity comes. Just slowly the comfort comes. Just slowly peace comes. Just slowly healing touches your body. Just slowly salvation touches your household. Just slowly, just slowly, bit by bit by bit. And all of a sudden you're like, whoo, I think I'm going to be all right. I think I can breathe, actually. I I think this is going to work. Oh, not a lot's changed, but boy, you've changed, haven't you? Your your perspective has changed. And long before the water runs dry, the endorphins kick in Joshua. Adrenaline comes from his thyroid to the rest of his body. And he looks up and he sticks his hand there. He's like, whoa, I told you so. I thank God, thank God you did it, Jesus. He's just, he's probably sprinting around the, the water's edge. Just, I told you guys, this is what God would do. How long did that take, by the way? He looks at him and says, now, cross over. How long would it take two million people to get across the riverbed? Two million people. And they walk by the ark because the Levites are holding the ark in the middle of the river. Notice how far God goes before you and then when you're in the midst of your overwhelming situation, He stops going before you and He stops right in the middle of your situation. He's right there in the middle of your issue and He's with you and He's there to comfort you. He's in the midst of it with you. Woo, look at that distinction. He goes before you and then when you get to the water's edge, He just stops right in the middle with you. And even when you feel like you can't see him, even when you feel like he's not working, he's right there in the midst with you. Now, imagine you're one of those Jewish people. You're looking at the ark, and it's time for you to cross, and it's dry. And you're like, oh, that box. Hey, guys, thank you. Thank you for holding that. That was long two hours. I know things heavy. That's awesome. Can can I touch it? No, I don't want to touch it because I don't want to die. No, I won't touch it. I won't touch it. But I think there was a moment in the nation of Israel where there wasn't a person out of the two million people that had their eyes on the promised land anymore. They had their eyes on the box. And that's why you're in the overwhelming situation you're in now. Because it ain't about property. It ain't about land. It ain't about cities. It ain't about money. It ain't about where you're going. It's about who's taking you there. It's about the promiser himself. So that when you get into the midst of the river, you ain't even looking at the promised land that you've been staring at for 700 years. You're looking at the promiser himself. That's why God does it. That's why he does it. So you're staring face to face with the promiser, with the presence of almighty God. And they're like, what is it about this ark, man? What is it? uh, It wasn't about property or land. It was about a person. And the ark, my friends, is a picture of our Messiah, of our Savior. His name is Jesus. There's three things in the box. Everybody say three manna. You know what Jesus said? I am the bread of life. He feeds us. What's the next thing in the box? A shepherd's staff that budded. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So he leads. So not only does he feed, he leads. What's the third thing? It's the Ten Commandments. What are you saying? Ten Commandments, Craig? Yeah, because Jesus is our Joshua. He is our Savior. He bled for us on the cross so the commandments in the box could be fulfilled so we could be the righteous of God. What are you saying, Craig? I'm saying that Jesus, he, he feeds, he leads, and he bleeds. That's what the ark is. He leads us with the staff. He feeds us with the bread of life. And he he bleeds for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. He goes before us. He's not intimidated by what's in front of us. He's in the midst of us. And when they crossed over, guess who was the last to leave the riverbed? The ark. Everybody's across. And the Levites go. And up out of the riverbed. And that's what God does. 
He goes before you. He gets in the middle of it. And then he comes up right behind you. Says, you think I'm going to be faithful the next fight? You think I'll be next faithful the next issue? Folks, I wish he would save us from stuff. And often he does. But most of the time he saves us through stuff. I wish he would part the Red Sea more. But most of the time he doesn't. You know why? Because we think this life is about stuff and possessions and things and jobs and locations and cities and checkings accounts and savings accounts. And, and all those things are good. I, I, they're good and, and rents and mortgages. But I'm here to tell you God will use all of those things in your life to get your attention on Him because it's all about Him. He'll use every one of those things in your life to get your attention back on Him. That's why He stopped them, Ashley, at the season of flooding. He said, I want you to sit here and think about it for three days. I want you to look at the dawning task before you dwelling place. I want you to look at what I'm asking you to do. I want you to look at the promised land and then I'm going to ask you a question Craig. What will you do? And what he wants you to say is nothing God I'm no match for this. I'm no match for this calling. I'm no match for divorce. I'm no match for debt. I'm no match for cancer. I'm no match for issues. And he says that's right. Now I want you to sit there and see and realize that I will fight for you. And some of y'all right there in front of the obstacle. And God says, hey, hey, can you do anything about it? No, God, I'm no match. I don't stand a chance. God says, exactly. I'll go before you. Watch me. I'll go before you. And I will mesmerize, astound, and confound you with what I do. And when you come out the other side... I'm going to be right behind you, Craig. I got to end with this verse, Hebrews 13. Whoa, this is powerful. You know it, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Read it from the English Standard Version with me right quick. He said, keep your life free from the love of money. Folks, houses, cars, rent, mortgages, dinners, lunches, things, they're all fine, but, but too many times they get our attention off of him. He says, don't let them get your attention off him and be content with what you have. How do I become content with what I have? What's the secret of being content? Because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You want the secret of contentment? God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a quote, by the way. Anybody see quotations? You know where that quote comes from? Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, days before he approached the Jordan River. He was having an emotional crisis. And he says, I'm scared to death to do what you're asking me to do. And God says, hey, I was with Moses. And I'm going to be with you, Josh. But then he says something to Joshua in Joshua 1.5. Read it with me. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I'm with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You see the quote? He changed one word. Joshua's command was, I will not leave you. Go read it in the Hebrew. Uh, that's not what he says in Hebrews. He didn't say, I will not leave you. He went to Hebrews and inspired the writer of Hebrews to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm here to tell you, church, the not has been anteed up. The not has become the never. The, the, the not has become something that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, in English, we have a grammarian called Webster that said we can't have have double negatives but the Greek doesn't go by those rules I had a sign in my school that said said uh, never come and never quit and I went to my principal and I said why are you telling everybody in the school to quit because that's double negative cancels it out but but you know what the Hebrew says the Greek says in Hebrews 13 15 I will not never no not never leave you nor forsake you 
So what are you facing? What is it you're facing today? What difficulty? What challenge? I'm here to tell you the same God who resided on a box in the Old Testament is the same God who resides with us today. Look at the message translation. Come on, band. Look what he says in the message translation. Be relaxed with what you have since God assures I'll never let you down. I'll never walk off and leave you. I never walk off and leave you. I love that. Listen to me, church. I have no guarantees for you today. I don't. I told you in the beginning of this message, I have no guarantees. But let me tell you what I do have is I serve a Savior and a Deliverer that absolutely often brings us to the impasses of life that are beyond our control and beyond our ability because it's in those times God wants you to see Him and He wants you to focus on Him and He wants you to understand Him and He wants you to experience Him as a Deliverer, as a Savior, as an amazing, amazing God. The truth is, here today, some of you may leave and when you leave, things get worse. I don't know. Maybe the river swells more. But what will you do? Will you base your emotions off a swelling, fickle river of life? Is that any way to live? Oh, I'm having a good day today, Pastor Craig. The river went down. Oh, bad day today. The river's real high. Oh, good day today, river. Are you serious? You can't live that way. You can't live based off of what the river of life is doing because the river of life is fickle, boy. You'll get speeding ticket, you'll blow a tire. You get a bad diagnosis all in one day. And the question is, what are you going to be anchored to? What's your surety? What's your certain sound foundation? Who are you anchored to? Can we get to the place, Hebrews 13 says, where we find the contentment of a promiser who never changes? He will never leave you. No, not never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, I can't make promises about the river of life, but there's one promise that is sure. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name is Jesus Christ, and he will see you through. And when I read the book, we win. We win. And with that perspective, I don't know about you all, but for me, it's sometimes when I read those moments, it's like, it's like, bring it on, River. With that kind of perspective, bring it on. As Jesus people, we, we are the most rare, peculiar people on the planet because not because we don't face the same situations that other people face. In fact, we face more of them. We as Jesus people are the most rare people because we stand on the edges of life's most difficult circumstances and we say crazy stuff like this. Watch what's about to happen. Woo-hoo, watch what God's about to do. If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. So just close your mouth. I'll close mine and just keep your eyes straight ahead. Just watch. And when I was sharing this passage this week with my pastoral covenant group, Pastor Justin McTeer over at His Hands Church, he said, you know what, Craig? I've never thought about that before. But he kept him .56 miles behind. Why? Because a half mile behind, when you're up close subjectively, you can't see the river stopping from uh, a distance. But when you're a half mile back, you start looking and you and you see, oh, look, 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 look what God's doing. He's already slowly subsiding. He's allowing the river to heap up and yet now God blows their mind with the miracle working God he is some of you you're in a summer season it's called summer but life is swelling so the Lord spoke to me this week Art and it just oh my God it exploded in me we're about to come to the Lord's table but here's what's so amazing about the Lord's table 
this is a renewal of the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is my, my, my body broken for you. And every time we take communion, we always talk about the renewal of the forgiveness of sins. But did you know there's another amazing part of communion that hardly ever goes talked about? When Jesus, Jessica, was in the upper room that night, he was betrayed. The Bible says that he broke the bread after washing their feet and he gave them the cup. He practiced something in Jewish tradition called dynastic succession. You know what that means? There was one dynasty called Jesus the leader. With Jesus the leader, now he's given a new dynasty with the Holy Spirit as leader. And what he does through communion is he hands over the disciples to the leadership of the Holy Spirit who will pour out in just a few days. So you know what I think communion is also about? It's about re-surrendering to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then it hit me. What is communion? We feed on the risen Christ. What was in the ark? Manna. We feed on the risen Christ. We feed on Him. We feed on Him. Not only that, but we are submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. What was in the ark? The rod that budded. He's the good shepherd. And what is that cup? It's representative of His blood. There's the three things right there. Right there in this participation. So it's Father's Day. And what we get to do as a community is come forward. We, we practice open communion. If you're new to our church, what that means is anybody who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you're welcome to partake. So in just a moment, I want to pray. And as I pray, I want to ask the Holy Spirit just to enable you by spirit, by His Spirit to, to say, you know what, I want to resubmit myself to the leadership of the Spirit. Dad, you want to resubmit yourself to the leadership of the Spirit. Maybe it's a renewal of a grace of forgiveness. Maybe some of you, you've wandered from the faith and you need the Spirit of God blood of Jesus to cleanse you. He says, don't take this unworthily, but worthily and weightily examine your heart to see if there's any sin. Confess the sin. And I'm believing today as we come forward that Christ's mode, Christ's presence is going to be so real. And that that deliverer that He is, the amazing God He is, He strengthens your faith today. No matter what river you're facing. No matter what is overwhelming in your life. Would you pray with me? Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.